Hi, my name is Rich and this is the FMCG podcast where we speak with some of the most interesting leaders of today that we can get our hands on and hear their insights into the category and also their product expertise. And today we've got Jess from Dolson's on the show. We're really excited to have Jess. Uh, we've um, had some samples before from Jess and reviewed them and uh, checked out uh, some of the Dolson's products and they're really good, we really like them. Big shout out to the, to the cherry there, that was the office favourite. And so today we're just going to be discussing all things soft drinks, emerging trends within that category and also hearing a bit more about the Dolson story and Jess's take on some really interesting kind of advice around balancing, navigating uh, that switch between sort of smaller brands and bigger blue chip experience in your career in sales. So Jess, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're really excited to get into this. Can you just give us a quick uh, top line overview on your role in Dolston's and also kind of what you've been doing there today, if that's all right, just to get everyone intro into you. Yes, absolutely. Um, Thank you for the uh, intro. Um, So I'm Jess. uh, I'm the sales director at Dalston's. I joined the business in January and it's been a bit of a whirlwind since starting um, almost a year ago. So I came, my previous role actually was at L'Oreal. I was working uh, in the beauty industry, so something pretty different. Um, And I I got kind of headhunted by our founder, Duncan, um, to kind of go off and work for him. We were both uh, ex-anthropology students, which I thought was was kind of interesting, given it's a bit of a rogue degree, um, and got on really well. And I really bought into his vision, so felt like we could really do something fantastic together. Um, after a bit of a tough time over COVID, the business had uh, had kind of been pulled back to a bit of a skeleton team. So I joined, it was really Duncan and his head of product, Graham and myself. Um, and we're now sort of a fully functioning team of eight or nine and we're consistently hiring nice. um, and really on a, on, a, on a strong growth trajectory. So from then to now, I feel like things are worlds apart. Um, you know, I feel like we've got a real structure, a real team. Um, we've got some real strong plans in place um, and we're actually backing uh, some, some, some more solid marketing and whatnot. Whereas when I joined, it was uh, a little bit kind of hickory pickledy and emergency account management. So um, there's been a real change there, but um, it's going fantastically. And I guess the big, biggest change is, is kind of distribution and growing mm. the team. But um, it's been it's been a bit of a whirlwind kind of 11 months. Oh, that sounds fantastic. It's like, a, like a, a really big challenge to get your teeth stuck into. So I like I'm well underway on it. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are kind of watching and listening um, probably are familiar with Dolston's but for those that aren't can you just give us a, like a headline sketch on Dolston's the history where the brands come from what it stands for we essentially are a craft soda brand so um, we've got a huge host of, of kind of USPs but the key things really are that we are a healthier treat um, we are a sustainable brand but ultimately we really taste fantastic um, we're not, you know, a sparkling water. We're not um, a full, full flavored kind of full fat soda. We are, but we are a kind of better choice soda for you. Um, we're an all natural product. Um, there's no refined sugar, no nasties, um, no sweeteners added to the product. Um, and ultimately, the brand ethos is is circulated around um, doing good um, and being sustainable and supporting small UK farms and whatnot. Um, on top of that, we really are a local independent brand. So Duncan, the founder, uh, is still still with us. I think he's he's not passed away. He's he's still leading <laughs> leading, leading the business. And um, we really did come from grassroots. So the brand name Dulston's is because the product was born and bred in Dulston. Um, <clears throat> was, was sort of dreamt up by by Duncan um, in the back of a nightclub in Dulston called Passing Clouds um uh, about 10 years ago and for the first sort of four years five years of the brand um he was brewing it you know in big vats he was he was buying cola nuts we don't do cola anymore but from sort of hackley market and um making it by by hand i think he got given a 300 day 
300 day, 300 pound payday loan um, and went and bought sort of a pallet of, of uh, recycled glass bottles and sort of filling them and fizzing them by hand and then hand delivering them and delivering them with their route to market was themselves. So for a good while, it was very much kind of a independent uh, bootstrap business. Um, and in, I think, about 2017, somebody approached Duncan uh, and said, look, this is not the way you scale a soft drinks business, which is when we decided to maybe not produce and distribute and do everything ourselves yeah. and move into cans and actually try and get some volume there. And that's when things really took off. So I see the real birth of Dolson's being 2017. Okay. But there's a few years behind that where it's, you know, he's done the, the hard work and really got to grips with um, you know, the ethos that he wants to build as a brand. And ultimately, it's about a very simple product. It's about good ingredients. It's about well-sourced ingredients um, and not overcomplicating things. So both him and our head of product, they're both ex-chefs. Yeah. Um, and again, taste and flavor really are still at the driving. They're in the driving seat for the products. And actually, we'd never bring anything out which we didn't think tasted good and didn't have those kind of core values behind behind uh the development so you know simplicity well sourced good products yeah. solid ingredients and just nothing weird you know no no crazy numbers nothing you can't pronounce um yeah. on man so i guess that's us in a nutshell and we like to say craft um as as i think all of those things really encompass kind of what we see and understand to be kind of craft yeah. um you could kind of i suppose call us whatever you want call us what you want but uh but we we have some pretty cool some pretty cool um usps and, and, no, and i love, and I love your uh, the ginger the ginger flavor is is brilliant um i think uh, some of the samples you sent us through that that's uh, that was one of them but uh, i think uh, yeah ginger drinks quite hard to get right sometimes they're like the ginger's not got enough kick other times it's overpowering but that was that was spot on we really liked it um what's so you say the the best seller at the moment then is the cherry that's that's kind of overtaken is it uh well no so actually the best seller given our distribution is rhubarb okay. um yeah. and cherry for us is a really high loyalty there's not a huge amount mm. of other cherry products out there and i think we've really hit the nail on the head with the balance of that product um that said you either really like cherry or you don't so it's a little bit marmite in yeah, that yeah. sense but those who do very much repurchase, the government purchase rate on the cherry is 70 plus percent. So we we do have some real loyal fans of the cherry. Yeah. Um, in terms of our flavor profiles, it's a really interesting one because our, initially the business was Dalston's Cola hmm. um, and the first drink that they launched was Cola. But it's very hard to change shopping habits of some of the major kind of known flavors so oh, yeah, what yeah. Duncan discovered was that if somebody wants a cola they're going to get a coke or a pepsi mm. um it's very hard to break into and challenge that so what we did um was kind of go down the road of, of, of flavors with mass points of difference yeah. so you know approachable understandable flavors but ones that aren't you know, challenging the traditional, you've got your lemon drinks, you've got your orange, you know, orange, you've got Fanta, you've got Tango, you've got San Pellegrini, you've got so many different options. Mm. And it's just a very tough market to play in. So what we do very well is taking a, a known flavor and, and a liked flavor, but one that is not traditionally a soft drinks flavor, i.e. rhubarb oh, or shit, cherry, yeah. um, and turning it into into exactly that. And, and that's where we can win and we can win in that space because we're what not going after yeah, yeah. the core lemon orange cola um we're, we're coming in with slightly different points of points of difference in our flavors yeah yeah that's that's really interesting um it's something that comes across uh, a lot in the podcast that we do especially with the kind of emerging brands is um you know like it, it's a case of finding that 
point of difference is is something that changes and develops you know like uh, it's really interesting obviously starting up in curler and kind of move through and uh, just persisting with it. it seems to be like kind of part of the the secret sauce that kind of uh, keeps brands on the shelf and around rather than disappearing because it's challenging that uk is so buoyant i think everyone in the uk will give a new brand a go it's, it seems like uk consumers are pretty interested in trying new brands but trying to kind of keep something there in, in the form front that kind of gets that repeat purchase and starts developing brand loyalty that's the kind of real challenge yeah. to start the, the tough nuts think- crack isn't it Rate of sale and repeat purchase are key things. You see a huge number of brands um, launch and mm. quite quickly delisted. I won't name any names, but you, it's not uncommon. And particularly in grocery retailers, you know, are constantly being given targets to to cut their ranges and reduce their complexities. And therefore, any tail uh, brand, if there isn't huge solus or, or loyal spend, is at risk. Yeah. Um, so driving rate of sale and getting the repeat purchase is really key. And again, I think this is something I really believe in with Dulston's is that being driven by taste and quality and actually having having a product that I really like um, does mean we see consumers returning. And for us, one of our biggest, you know, marketing strategies is is sampling because people mm. try the product and then they do seek it out yeah. um, versus again, other products out there where reformulations have meant the products, you know, maybe taste a little bit bland or zero calorie products where, you know, it's serving an absolute, you know, it's serving a purpose, but it's not full flavor in the same way. And where we win is people really are coming back and repurchasing once they trial. Yeah, yeah, that's actually interesting. What, what about when it comes to like ch- sort of channel focus? Like how's the channel focus sort of emerge, shape, develop? Because sometimes we'll speak to businesses and you know, the very kind of clear point of difference is we're, we're all about out home. Other times people kind of play in that multi-channel kind of range straight off the bat. Like how is sort of Dolson's approach kind of developing channel strategy? Because that's as much of a ball game, isn't it? It's kind of looking at your point of difference in your marketing proposition. It is. I'm not the best at prioritizing because I want to win everywhere. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's been one of my problems <laughs> this year. And actually, for me, a huge challenge. You know, I've never worked in wholesale, really out of home. My my career, I'm sure we'll come on to it, is very kind of grocery focused. Yeah. So um, I've had to learn very quickly um, and learn on my feet, at, you know, how the out of home channel works. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for us, we've got a really nice split. So I'll just give you a quick bit of background. So Prior to COVID, uh, the business was probably 60% out of home and 40% grocery. Of course, through the COVID period, we actually managed to flatline as a business. So our sales didn't decline. They just held steady. And that's because we had grocery listing. So we are in Asda, Ocado, uh, Waitrose and Sainsbury's in our multi-pack formats. And that's what really... um, propped up the business over COVID. Hmm. So now it's sort of flipped around and I'd say the grocery rating is probably closer to 60% and then out of home, um, more like 40. But my aim for next year is is, is very much to grow both and I'd love to have a 50-50 split. Yeah. Um, for me, there are some really key accounts where you can really drive, you know, um, the brand and the brand fit you know in, in some restaurants you know we, we work very very well with food yeah. one of our big at the moment is tortilla and actually getting a burrito and, and a dulcet nice. lemon it worked fantastically yeah, together yeah. and we can do some really cool stuff with the marketing mm. um and they're the accounts i actually get the most excited about yeah uh, but then equally as it always is you know a, a, a big grocer is is going to ultimately drive drive the majority of the volumes so for us in terms of priorities it's it's very evenly split um and we very much want to we don't want to be coming out of home brand or a grocery brand for us you know more and more with the trends that you're seeing and particularly with this very tough period we're all facing into right now more and more people are, are moving that out of home experience in home yeah 
and you see that with you know the the resurgence of dine-in for 12 pounds dine-in yeah, for two, yeah. kind of dine kind of meal deals and actually a lot of people are more willing to treat themselves a little bit on their dine-in occasions and premiumize and and and, and increase what they spend slightly on their on mm. their in-home experiences because they're removing those out-of-home experiences so for us if we can create an out-of-home experience where you 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 are you you discover the brand and then bring that into the grocery sphere where you're kind of recreating that experience in home but you have this out of home kind of uh, association that would be the kind of sweet spot so nice. you know, uh, you're meeting both so yes very very important to have to have both elements i think um so interesting obviously touching on the the market trends there like um i mean soft drinks is always emerging i mean it's one of the most exciting parts of fmcg especially uh, in impulse and um you know like so so what are you seeing are some of the kind of big headline trends in in soft drinks at the moment Gosh, well, it's uh, at the moment, um, and I think it's changed a lot over the last few years. There's the obvious functional. Mm -hmm. um, so CBD is is really hot property right now. Anything gut health related, so kombucha, kefir. I mean, the kefir is not really soft drinks, but um, and energy. So a lot of retailers are giving more space to their functional products. Um, as they've been underfaced historically and actually more and more people are aware and willing to kind of uptrend and upspend into those categories. Waters are also in growth. Um, but for us, soda and, you know, flavoured carbonates is kind of the bread and butter of soft drinks. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, they're, that's always going to be the bulk. So if we can provide people an easy shopping experience where they have an alternative on mm. their shelves, they're looking at Tangos and Fantas and 7-Ups and actually quite quite make it quite accessible then we yeah. think we can very much still play in that flavor carbonate category but i'd say the key trends really are are you know are, are the are the functional uh additives that we see in drinks yeah um not something that we're we're doing specifically for ourselves we're not a functional brand we are very much a you know a, a, a simple natural you know ethically driven flavored soda yeah um but I really respect what those brands are doing and they're, they're, you know, they're storming ahead in terms of distribution. Um, the other thing I'd say, it's not really soft drinks, but low and no is, yeah, is, is yeah. a lot more space and, you know, keep an eye out there. There might be some stuff happening, mm. happening next year, but um, yeah, there's, there's, they're, they're probably the key ones you'd see at the moment. Nice. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, you touched on it there around, you know, like kind of the future for Dolstons and when they're focused now, but um, yeah, well, where do you see, oh, it sounds like you've done a huge amount in that first year, just coming in, you know, like stabilizing the ship, building the team, sounds like a case of yourself. Like now that you've kind of like got the, the foundations in, you know, where do you see being sort of the next chapter for what you're doing at Dolstons and kind of the, the story there? I mean, there is so much distribution to go after. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to sort of lay out my total strategy plan for next year, but like, <laughs> no, no, no. just touching the surface. Our brand awareness is nowhere near what it mm -hmm. should be. I think Dalston should be covered in Dalston's. So, you know, I think every out food outlet and cafe yeah, and yeah, yeah. corner shop should have Dalston, mm -hmm. win Dalston. Um, you know, at the moment, we were only in the back of store and in, in the big supermarkets and we've, we've not got the big guy either. Um, but ultimately, I want to bring the product front of store to to drive trial and drive brand awareness. And at the moment, it's it's repeat law customers who know mm. we're there, but we're not necessarily um, able to disrupt shopping in the way that I'd like to. Now, it's hard when you're playing against the likes of 
Britvic, Nestle, Coke, Pepsi, yeah. the big guys. And we are ultimately in a, in a category that is very driven by massive JVPs with, with big corporates. So um, you do have to bring it off with something different to a retailer, whether it be a, you know, a slightly different type of consumer, um, you know, are we bringing in more Gen Z shoppers or, yeah. or something different in the range that can't be replicated. Um, so I'd like to say you'll see us more front of store next year in some of the big grocers. Um, as well, I'd like, you know, wherever you buy a burger or pizza, I'd like us to be available. And ultimately, um, yeah, a distribution is the key one. There's also huge markets we've not gone after, you know, export. I've, I've only just yeah. started to touch this as well. We've got so much growth to deliver there. Um, and ultimately, there's just so many leads and so many opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a bigger team hiring, by the way, um, a slightly bigger team to help kind of chase up all those leads and all those opportunities that seem to fall on our doorstep because they're all there. And, you know, there's yeah. no shortage of... Um, of avenues for growth uh, it's just about finding time to, to get to get around to them all and and, and nurture each of our accounts that's, that's really interesting yeah we, we we did a podcast with um gareth turner ex weetabix marketing director who was like heading the ship there when they did the beans and bix campaign um mm -hmm. and uh something that he said really stood out he said um that kind of one of the um yeah, the kind of the key things that everyone misses when they're trying to you know develop a brand is, is exactly like you said it's, it's the distribution piece like it's you want to find everyone's like busy thinking about what's that kind of you know like you know hail mary campaign that's just going to lift it but actually well, you know if you can no get more point. eyeballs more distribution that's that's the big the big project isn't it 100 percent. i really really believe in building brand awareness through distribution mm -hmm. you know as a brand we're never really going to be able to afford to do a massive atl tv campaign yeah. in the way the big guys are which is something it's taken me a while to get my head around having come from a big company but um distribution serves two purposes you know one is eyes on product yeah. and more touch points to try and as i mentioned earlier in our chat trial and sampling is really important to us because people do discover it through taste and actually repurchase and they mm. might try it in a local corner shop or a cafe and then repurchase through a supermarket um equally in you know in in food venues and things like that um but also there's absolutely no point investing in massive amounts of marketing if there's no distribution because you might you might have a, a big banner on a you know on a billboard somewhere but if you can't find Dalston's within a five minute walk you're not going to go out of your way to find it so the distribution also unlocks the you know effectiveness of, yeah. of of marketing campaigns you know there's other ways to go about it and you see a huge host of brands having completely focused on digital dtc and actually ultimately therefore you've got availability um but i'd like to go about it the traditional route but you know i look at other brands that i've discovered um tony's chocoloni being being uh, yeah. an example i pull up and i tried them for the first time in my local corner shop you know and and they were everywhere um bit by bit but i trialed it there yeah. and i continued to try all the flavors and they've obviously got the biggest range because they you know they've got much more elastic shelves they've got more more flex in their range um and i discovered the and, and learned to love the brand through that corner shop rather than through you know big grocery distribution now yeah. if i go to a sainsbury's i'll pick it up but there are so many touch points to discover and learn about a brand and some of the sort of smaller outlets actually do a better job of, of of brand positioning as well because they've got more they've got more control over what they do yeah yeah right no that's really interesting um I mean, that segues like quite nice into my next question which is 
say, say there's someone listening and think, oh, that sounds really interesting, what Jess is talking about, like the story there at Dalston's. Like, what's your advice for people about the difference between sort of winning in a smaller business versus um, winning in a, in a larger kind of blue chip? Because obviously you had experiences of both. Like, what are the sort of um, the opportunities? What's the differences? Because I think for a lot of people I speak to as a recruiter, um, they really like the idea of working for a startup, but there's always that nervousness about, oh, right, is it is it a safe move? Like, will, will I be able to do it without the wider support? Because in a big company, you've got so many different support functions kind of carrying you along. You're a lot less exposed. You're a lot less sort of like a accountable for the for the whole end-to-end sort of chain with those retailers but what's your advice to somebody kind of weighing up what it could be like to switch into a, an SME context I mean really good question thank you um I guess just super quickly I'll run over my my background so I started my career in field sales in mm. Diageo um and then moved into a kind of customer marketing role at Diageo um, and then I actually moved to over to Itsu, which at the time, Itsu Grocery, there was oh, about yeah. 12 of us, um, just me and one other on the sales team. And at the time was very much a startup. Um, then I took a few years off to travel and then I came back and joined L'Oreal. And then after a few years, I really missed working in that fast paced, small environment, um, particularly in food and drink. So I, yeah. I took the role of Dustin's. But uh, I mean, there's pros and cons. Look, I, I, I personally have, have really benefited from both. Yeah. Um, benefited in very different ways. And I think completely siloing yourself into being a blue chip corporate account manager or, you know, a, a someone who works purely in small businesses can be a bit dangerous because actually mm. I feel like people are a lot more adaptable than than people are given credit for. Um, I think it's very brave if somebody wants to make the move because ultimately you are going into something that's quite unknown and usually it will take quite a while to get used to different processes, but it's something that I always really respect. And when I'm hiring, you know, I'm, I, I always have a lot of kudos for people who have taken that leap because it is a bit scary and there isn't a huge amount of structure in a small business yeah. versus a big business. Um, but I think, you know, what you get in each is, is very different. You know, in, in blue chip businesses, you get, uh, you know, fantastic training. You know, I, my, my favorite training course I ever did was the gap negotiation training yeah, yeah. And, and you get you know, get really supported and invested in in that way. Um, you also are really scrutinized uh, on the detail of your work. Um, and sometimes it can feel a bit arduous redoing and redoing and redoing a forecast, which is what I found in some of my previous roles. But on the flip side, it, when you're moving this fast in a small business, the attention to detail sometimes flies out the window and it can be a bit dangerous because actually you just are running faster than you can walk. So um, for me, I like working in that slightly chaotic mm. environment. You know, I'm a thinker, I'm yellow, if you look at it in terms of the oh, colours. Yeah. Um, and actually, I like to hire people who are a bit more detail-orientated so we can we can <laughs> kind of even each other out. Yeah. Um, but I like the ability to have the freedom to fail you know, I think in a small business, usually, and if you've got the right management in a small business, you're able to run with an idea. And if it fails, you are held accountable, but it's not, it's not, failure isn't a bad thing. It's all a learning curve. Whereas in big businesses, all the learnings have already been, have already happened, you know, so it's all much more mechanical. Um, but that said, decisions are very um, much more logical and rational in big businesses and have to be very yeah. financially driven. Whereas in small businesses, they can be a bit more emotive and be a bit quicker. Um, and actually, you can turn something around, you know, if a, if a buyer asks you for a new flavor, you can make that happen and launch it in three months, yeah. which I think is amazing. 
Um, I think there are pros and cons to both. Um, but one thing I would say is is don't be afraid to to switch between the two because I feel like that's the best kind of experience you can get is is, is experiencing both and thriving in both and recognizing both the positives and the negatives of each type of work environment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so something that you've like highlighted there, just talking through your CV, which is, is really important, I think, is the breadth that you've got as well in, in kind of functional understanding. Because I see a lot of people chase cash early on, five years in, they want to be earning crazy money. Um, and actually, mm-hmm. it's possible to do that in the UK and FMCG because there's such a good need for talent. But often what people do is they, they specialise too early, they become a one-trick pony, maybe not in their own mind, but that's how they get pigeonholed. And then they get the golden yeah. handcuffs of the salary at that level. And then before they know it, it's difficult to then broaden out, which allows them to have the opportunity to move sideways into a smaller company and go up. Because I, I speak to a lot of smaller companies and they say, oh, actually, it would be a real benefit if you could find somebody who's got a rotation in supply chain or customer marketing as well, because they don't have the resource yeah. to hire like a dedicated you know, sales operations manager. So actually, if, this, if, the, you know, if the first senior now has got a bit of that kind of 360 view on that as well, massive benefit to them. Um, and it's really interesting, kind of you saying that actually you've changed back and forth several times. Because again, I, I see that as a recruiter. Um, I mean, it's easy for me to say because it's not my career, but I see people going back and forth and actually it works. You know, if, if you don't burn any bridges, there's this kind of no harm, no foul. But I think sometimes people get really sort of blinkered on, right, if I make this change into startup, well, that's it. I'm never going back to a big blue ship. In reality, that's, that's not how it works, is it? No, not at all. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with career changes when you're early on in your career. Um I actually think it's more beneficial than than being a lifer. At, you know, there's a lot of big blue chips where people are lifers and have done 10 years. And yes, yeah. you end up moving up the ladder probably slightly faster. But ultimately, I think in the long term, you get a much bigger breadth of knowledge and experience and actually tools that you can bring outside of your remit. And I think mm. in a big business, you do your role and your role only because there's somebody... Yeah. Every in every role to kind of support and all these different support functions. Whereas in a small business, you're a bit of everything. So you know, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm developing MPD. I'm I'm designing boxes. I'm thinking up marketing plans. I'm pitching to buyers. Yeah. I'm also coming down to wholesalers and you know going through, um, you know, wading through pallets and like I'm I'm doing literally a bit of everything. I'm writing the P and L. Like Christ, you just your your finance, your marketing, your MPD, your supply. You you know you you get stuck in and actually. If that's something that you like as a person, it's what makes small businesses really incredible. Yeah. And actually, if you can grin, you know, I whenever I hire somebody, I always say, this is the role I'm hiring you for. But if you've got other skills that you want to explore, that you want to yeah, bring, yeah. then roles are adaptable in small businesses. So, mm-hmm. you know, my previous, one of my account managers, he's he manages some of the on-trade, he manages our convenience channel, does a bit of marketing and a cardo because he really, you know, he's great with e-com and yeah. he's got, he's done some marketing roles and actually he's great in wholesale, but he wants something new and you can tailor it to that. But some of the stuff he brings us in terms of partnerships and marketing ideas are, are amazing. And actually that's because of his marketing experience. So yeah. you can be really valuable in a small business if you have, you know, slightly, slightly, yeah, slightly sideways, sideways career. If you can be, you know, money will come um and i also would would like to stress that sideways doesn't necessarily mean not getting a pay increase yeah, you know I, yeah. I had to kind of stay flat every every role i've got has been has been a progression um but those skills a year in marketing a year in supply chain actually in a small business are more valuable probably if you're applying for a blue chip it's not gonna it's it's not seen as as valuable as, as a trait but in a small business 100 it just shows you're versatile and, and willing to get stuck in yeah, yeah, right. No, that, that's that's really interesting insight. Um, 
Well, I mean, just kind of building that next question, really, just more broadly, like just a couple of headline bits of advice. I mean, you, you touched on some great insights for people. People listening thinking, right, that's really interesting thinking about the balance between, you know, blue chip and, and SME in terms of like verticals, tracks to get down for your career, but more broadly, just kind of advice for specifically salespeople, you know, national accounts. Like what would you kind of stand out advice be if you could just give one or two pieces to people that are wanting to kind of get on and be better national account managers? What do you think people need to kind of hone in, develop it? it might be soft skills, character attributes, you know, what, what would you offer to somebody? I'd say, I mean, if you're hunting for new business, don't be afraid to think outside the box. Mm. Um, I know that's a bit of a cliche one, but it really does work. You know, doing something slightly different to get yeah. a buyer's attention or really push to close a deal to show that you've really thought about it. Go above and beyond. Um, this is more marketing, but I'm I'm trying to close a. You'll know in a minute a, a coffee a coffee chain, and we we we're a dog friendly office, and one of our marketeer has has a black great dane, and I was like, let's dress them as a black sheep to try and get black sheep's attention. You know, <laughs> and actually think outside the box. Get them. Yeah, get yeah. them to know you. You know, that's I think. For me, and again, this this is different for everybody, but being a people person and being able to get people to buy into you and like you and sh see how dedicated you are to winning their accounts specifically, you know, very specifically, not just in a general way. Um, it's just as important as being fantastic with numbers or being a great negotiator or, you know, doing a fantastic sell or a pitch. Yeah. I think, you know, there's all those unspoken skills where, you know, people buy from people. And again, it's really cliche, but it's really true. Mm -hmm. um, so I wouldn't forget, you know, you can being structured and, and numerical and all of that is very, very important. But don't forget the essence of the you and people buying you and actually yeah. bring your character into it. You know, I bring I bring my dog, Stanley. Oh, lovely. Got to see Stanley again. Yes. <laughs> I made them get dog friendly office when I joined. Oh, one, oh, one of the benefits of a small business is um, you can demand a dog friendly office for these love birds. <laughs> what breed is Stanley? Um, Sorry. He's a long, I had to bring him in. Uh, he's a long haired mini Dachshund. Oh, lovely. Um, and he's our, he's our team mascot and he's here every day. But um, I, I mean, wherever I can, I bring him into meetings because mm. it breaks the ice. Yeah, so yeah, you have yeah. a very formal bio who's ready for a very tough negotiation and they start going, gooch, gooch, gooch. It's hard to go back into, into kind of, you know, that stern, that yeah. stern way. Of being. Um, and also you're memorable. And I know mm. that's not necessarily about me selling the product better or anything, but I think it brings character. So I don't I just think people underestimate the, the importance of character in, in, in sales. Um and then I guess don't be afraid to ask, you know, one of the best things that I've had this year is a mentor. Um yeah. and I think seeking there's very few people who when you reach out for industry advice or work advice, whether it be on LinkedIn or through someone you know. There's very few people who are going to say no to, mm. to being a mentor. Um, usually people are very flattered that you see them as somebody who can actually provide advice and, and help you. Um, people like to have their ego stroke like that. But um, I found it very useful to find someone who's had a similar career path, but maybe is five, 10 years ahead and, and then ask them all the questions that you feel silly asking. Yeah. And that probably goes for, you know, not just sales, but um, I found that very, very useful. Um, so I, I, I would say that. Um, and, you know, the market's tough right now. You know, I've, I've not had a huge barrage of wins and it can be a bit deflating because I'm used to that in the past. Yeah. Um, but maintaining a positive attitude and, and looking at the long game and making sure you're taking a step back to think about specifically why a buyer would buy from you. You know, mm. what is your category sale? Doing, doing all the prep and planning so that you can go in and seem very casual and off the cuff, but actually you've done the prep and planning before. So it allows you to be like that. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think I rambled a bit there, but yeah. No, no, honestly, all absolute <laughs> gems. That that was brilliant. Yeah, I think um, it's funny you mentioned the prep and planning piece. I mean, we one of the like the biggest uh, frustrations we have is people put a lot of effort into putting CV together, developing rapport and alignment. That first stage interview comes with second stage presentation, and then you know the client for us is, is assessing that scenario, and they're, they're thinking about how's this person going to be in front of the retailer. Or the customer um, and then they're busy work so they just kind of half oh, I get on with that person I'm going to wing it on the presentation and it's like you've got to have both of them you've got to have that, that kind of personal connection that you've worked on so you develop that alignment you develop that personality that memorability but but actually it, it's not enough by itself it's got to be like planning planning prep so you know that there's there's a lot going on underneath and you can 100%. you can draw it in and can't you because you, you, you are off the cuff in your questions because you know the material and people people have confidence in that then don't they a hundred percent. And you know, being likable is not enough. Yeah. I had a buyer, a major retailer say to me recently, I really want to list your product, but if I did, it would just be because I'm trying to do you a favor because I like you. Yeah. And I suddenly went, whoa, I have not done a good enough job here because yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Reason, he sees that's a benefit to his category rather than all the other benefits I could list off in terms of, you know, yeah. bringing new consumers into the category, bringing in valuable consumers, you know, some fantastic rate of sale, but also providing a point of difference, being, you know, being right. able to kind of provide value to the category. What I, I've oversold me rather than yeah, yeah. the category proposition. And that's where... I went, oh, well, okay, I've done a really bad job there. I need to, you know, I need to take a step back and try this again because they're both really important. You've got to get them to see the value in what you're selling, but you've also got to get them to like you. And then if you get both, win. Yeah. If you have one or the other, in either way, you're just never going to be, it's, it's never going to really work. And, you know, you can't have one. For me, they're, they're, they're equally as important. And the planning and prep that you do, to familiarize yourself with somebody else's business before allows you to be that off the cuff kind of yeah, yeah kind of casual colloquial person um but ultimately it's it's in a slightly more planned way yeah no that's 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 great um well i mean there's, there's loads of loads of kind of insight there for people to get into and that is you know really appreciated by us and, and anybody watching or listening but um i guess more just a spotlight for for you in the business at the end just like what is going on at Dolson's that people are going to find it interesting? Say this, there's somebody listening to this, watching this, and they think, you know what, I'd love to, to you know, reach out to Jess and just let her know, I've, I've listened to the podcast, appreciate it, but actually I'm interested in, you know, just kind of being kept abreast on opportunities at Dolson's. What do you think is exciting about Dolson's at, at the moment that people should know about if they're thinking about a career with Dolson's? Well, I just mean, for me, it's the, the number of opportunities that fall on our doorstep. Yeah. You know, we are very much hunting them out, but there mm. is just so much opportunity coming to us as well, which is kind of unheard of, particularly in the current right. climate. So we're on this fantastic growth trajectory. We have a really fantastic team. Like, honestly, it's a joy to come into the office. You know, everybody's very similar in the way that they, you know, are quite jokey and and supportive and we all get stuck in and it's just a really bloody nice work environment. Yeah. Um, but ultimately we've got some big plans for next year for MPD. Um, you know, we've got a huge, a huge number of new categories to go after, as well as increased distribution, which hopefully you'll touch wood, you'll be seeing soon. Yeah. Um, and some really exciting promotions, you know, and things like the on trade where we've not really explored before as a mixer. And there's so much we can yeah, do with the yeah. product, as well as just the fact that it's just a simple proposition that works. Mm. You know, it's the simplicity message. And actually, we don't need to add vitamins or add xyz functionality to the drink yeah. because it's just a really good drink and you know that sometimes is kind of what people just want not yeah, everybody yeah. wants the future sometimes people just want a really nice tasting drink so yeah, yeah. um you know there's still room for that 
Brilliant. And you've got Stanley. Who else has Stanley? Emily Dawson. And who else has Stanley? Get Although, Stanley, I, must, I must warn you, when hiring and you tell people it's dog-friendly, do ask what kind of dog before they come in, because we do now have a mini dash and a great Dane in a very small office. So, so, so yeah, you, you don't want to like over, overdo it on the, <laughs> yeah. the great Dane front. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that'd be space issues, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, they, they cheer you up immensely. Um, and I've just ordered him a, a Dalston's outfit for the next meeting he comes to. I love so it. That's you know how that goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, well, I guess people can follow you on your all the usual places, can they? You know, Instagram, all that kind of good stuff, LinkedIn. Yes, absolutely. Um, please, if anybody wants to add me on LinkedIn, it's Jessica Harris Voss. Um, Instagram, please do follow Drink Dalston's. Um, and even, you know, you've, just hit me up on LinkedIn if you want some advice or, or if you want to get in touch further. I'd absolutely love to hear people's feedback. So, yeah, please, Gosh, please do. I'm, I'm, I'm welcome, welcoming to messages. Winner. Yeah, well, if you've not tried the products before, everyone go and try them and if you're still thinking about it go and watch our YouTube uh, review because we reviewed the products about six months ago maybe not that long ago probably more three, four months and they're great and uh, listen you know, please do reach out to, to Jess if you enjoyed today um, anyone who comes on our show does it because they want to invest in talent in the industry and it's all about giving back so you know, reach out let, let uh, Jess know that you've appreciated the insights that she shared and again Jess thank you so much for coming on the show it's been an absolute blast really enjoyed it and all the best for Dalston's I'll keep my eyes peeled for uh, yeah pictures <laughs> of Stanley on Instagram hope we'll see yeah. him in his, oh, yeah. in his he's, outfit he's all over so even if you're just a dog fan just, just, just check us out on Instagram yeah, thank you so much Richard and thank you for anyone who listened <laughs>